Stand by like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Stand by Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A. Go. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hang and Focus Live. I'm your host, Sean Daniels. We have a thrilling episode this afternoon. We have Jamie Dempsey, Executive Director of the Arizona Commission on the Arts. We have Mitch Menchaca, who is the Executive Director of the City of Phoenix Office of Art and Culture. And most importantly, we have all of you. So if you, as we get going, have questions or things that you want to comment on, please go ahead and leave a, a question in the comments and we will get to them. Um, I did want to just chat for a, a brief second before we get started. You know, there's been a lot of questions about what, I mean, and that's actually the whole point of today's episode, really like what is next for Arizona Theater Company and when will we know more about what it is exactly that we're doing. So I just wanna to try to take a moment to try to fill you in on that. Here's what I do know. I do know that the safety of our staff, of our guest artists and of everyone who's attending is the most important thing. And so to be honest, we're, we're not going to do any live performances until we can guarantee that people will be safe and will be taken care of and that we have done everything that we can do. Now, uh, how does that affect the exact schedule of our season? That we don't know. That we're spending really every day kind of looking at scenarios, looking at what that may mean, looking at how we can get people in. Um, you know, we're when we have our staff come back, right, we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna be as careful as we can so that we can make sure that people are safe. And so I just think what I would ask right now is that as soon as we have information to be able to tell everybody about kind of what the new layout is or how it works or how we're gonna get people in, we will go ahead and communicate that to you. So just a moment of patience as we figure out what it is. The last thing we wanna do is put out something that we then have to take back a month later. You know, it was a big, it was a big undertaking for our box office. They're still in it to be able to cancel two shows in the midst of it. And so as we go forward, we will communicate as soon as we know exactly what is happening. We are putting together every possible scenario. So the second that we are ready to be able to bring fantastic work to you live on stage, we will do that. Now, the other thing I do know is that going forward, video content, online content, and the really fantastic ways that we've been able to connect with our audience is going to become part of who we are. So much in the past, it's been uh, an extra thing that we did, something else that we said like it would be fun to connect in terms of our audience. And I think going forward, online content, connecting with people is part of one of the main things that Arizona Theater Company does. It was, I can't tell you, it was amazing. So we did the white chip. We had a theater in London that pushed out, they tweeted out that people should check out the show and be able to see it. When we did The Legend of Georgia McBride, we had educators from Canada who reached out for us to be able to see it. And of the 7,000 people that watched the white chip reading when it happened, uh, more than half of them were not in the state of Arizona. So it's really fantastic for us to be able to take the work that we do and be able to share it with the rest of the world. Um, as someone that grew up in Arizona, there's always this like sneaky, 
like conversation where people are like, yeah, but if if you were really making great art, wouldn't you be living in New York or LA? And then they come see our shows, right? And then they say, oh my God, it's just as good as I would see anywhere else. Um, you're the best kept secret here, to which we say that is not a compliment, but thank you so much. And I think one of the things that can start to happen, you know, with these shows that we've had in the past and for next year, how we figure out how to connect people worldwide, it's a great way for us to be able to share the work that we do worldwide. And so as part of our goals to be a national leader and a worldwide leader, sharing the work that happens here with the national community will play a big part of it. Now, it'll ultimately be up to unions right, you, you know, the director's union, actor's union, in terms of exactly how we're able to share that type of uh, content with you and in what way, but know that we are dedicated to making sure that the great work that we do, we're gonna try to get it to you in your homes. So if you feel unsafe coming to the theater, you can be able to watch it there. How will we build, um, if the unions say we can't do that, we'll figure out some other way to connect with you, but that is our goal right now at this moment. So we will keep you up to date as those things happen. We will let you know as things go forward, but know that our online presence is only going to grow, is only going to get stronger, is only going to be a part of how we connect with you. And know that when you're trying to think about like when is the first time that we will be in the theater, know that it is the first time that it is safe and we have followed the guidelines and we can have you there. I keep I keep thinking about uh, that that first like opening night like that first speech that I get to go out and give and and Jerry is with me and like I just imagine that I really won't have to give a speech because the majority of you will just cheer that we will all be back in the building we will have gathered together we will be there for this beautiful moment so I'm looking forward to that but uh, you know we got to take the long view here we got to make sure that we're doing everything we're a community leader you know it would be irresponsible to do anything that puts anybody in danger so that's just the thing we're talking about every day and as soon as we have more information on it I will get it to you the long-winded way of saying I don't know exactly what it is but I know that we are on it and I know that we have our priorities right in terms of taking care of the health of this organization the health of our artists, the health of our audience, and making sure that Arizona Theater Company is here, you know, for in 30 years, so my daughter can be forced to go to it as just like I was. All right, so that's the update from us in terms of where we are. Uh, this is a, a thrilling episode. Normally we do kind of one person and then we do another, right, in terms of talking about this. These two people were wanted to chat together because they're so fantastic together and such fans of each other. So let's go ahead and bring them into the room. As I mentioned, Jamie Dempsey is the executive director of the Arizona Commission on the Arts. And Mitch Menchaca is the executive director of the City of Phoenix Office of Art and Culture. Let's go ahead and welcome both of them to the show. Thank you both so much for coming on Hang and Focus Live. Are they, oh, there we go. And there's Mitch. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's finally Friday. I know. <laughs> there, there is something about right how every day feels like a month, right? Of things that we go through that when you get to Friday, you're like, oh, oh my God, really? And this is a three day weekend. Three day weekend on Monday, I woke up and thought it was Thursday. So I'm not quite determining what days it is, but I do know it's a three day weekend. So very excited. <laughs> and you know, for uh, for me, three day weekend just means going into the other room for three days. It's really <laughs> like, it's not really like a full vacation in terms of what it is. Um, all right, it looks like Jamie is going to join us 
any second now to be able to to be with us. Um, let's oh, let's just chat for a second. Oh, and there she is. Hello there. You are. I think you are muted. Can you hear me? That I can hear you. Hello there. Hi, <laughs> hi everyone. It's, good to it's see really you. not a Zoom call until one person is muted at the very beginning of it, right? <laughs> like that is the seal that has to be broken in every meeting that we do. Um, listen, I just so appreciate both of you coming on the show because I think, you know, the people have a lot of questions and I would love just to get to know you guys a little bit better, but also just to talk about what are the hopes and goals for Phoenix, for Arizona, and what is the path forward that we think might happen. Um, but before we get into that, what I love about the two of you is that the both of you were artists before you got into being really fancy people running service organizations, right? So like you started out as artists. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? You're, you're making a face, Jamie, which makes me believe that what I said is true. So go ahead and let us know. Well, neither of us, I'll speak for both of us, that neither of us are fancy people. Um, but we are both... Um, arts administrators, and we both work in the public sector. Mitch, I'll stop speaking for you, but <laughs> yes, we are both, um, we are both theater artists, um, you know, all, yeah, and both of us grew up here in Arizona. And what, so, what, um, what type of artist were you, right? Because you both were a little different. So um, I grew up acting and uh, performing uh, vocal music. I, um, I grew up on the west side of Phoenix in a suburb called Peoria, for those who aren't local. Um, and I grew up performing at, um, in school, of course, but also at, uh, with an organization called Theater Works, which is uh, now in downtown Peoria. But at the time when I was a kid, it was in a barn. Um, in a converted barn uh, on Thunderbird and 67th Avenue. So um, that was the kind of artist I was. I went to school. Uh, my uh, undergraduate degree is in acting. And, uh, and then I took a slightly different course after that. And, and how does one get, and I do think you're a fancy person. So I want to know how does someone get from being an undergrad actor to being a fancy person in Arizona? Well, a couple of things happened for me. One, I um, fell in love with public policy toward the end of my um, undergraduate degree. And I thought that there were um, ways that I, I really always wanted to work at the intersection of uh, the arts and public policy. And I always had a deep passion for my home state and um, I wanted to see things change here and be better here. Um, and I left for a bit after college. I honestly didn't think that I would, um, that I, it wasn't my plan necessarily to live in Arizona where I grew up. I left and I lived in some other places and I always cared more about what was happening here than I did in my, uh, in the new places where I lived. And so um, I came back. But in terms of that pivot, it was about public policy. But honestly, it was also, I don't know how much, um, like real talk you want, but um, let's, do it it. Also, let's do it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, um, I had some experiences toward the end of um, my undergraduate degree that um, 
were uh, a little less than positive um, around. Um, so at the time, I think there was a different style of training than there probably is now. And people uh, at the time that uh, I was in college were really encouraged to do, at least in our program, do almost nothing but theater, right? Like if you had any other interests or you could be happy doing anything else, um, that was pretty actively discouraged. And I am interested in a million things and I could be happy doing a million more. And, um, and I always thought that that made me a better artist. And in fact, it, it just became something that I wasn't willing to change about myself. So um, I thought I could have a, a greater um, sense of purpose and a, and a stronger grounding if I was working in uh, at the intersection of public policy than if I was um, working, trying to create a career as an actor at the time. Amazing. Mitch, how did, how did you get into this? Well, I am from Arizona as well. I am from Casa Grande, Arizona, just to the south of Phoenix and the north of Tucson. And I actually think that the Arizona Theater Company board used oh, to meet. Oh, look at that. So yeah. Those yeah. Little circles. Dropping some swag, too, no on the swag. show. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I was involved, I was fortunate the city has, you know, public programs and arts and theater kind of things. I was in high school shows. Um, I was not a stellar student in high school. <laughs> and so uh, if it wasn't for my community theater in Casa Grande, I wouldn't have gone to college because they gave me a scholarship to my first semester at the community college down there, Central Arizona College. And I spent a couple of years there in vocal music and theater. And my theater instructor, my vocal music teacher said, you got a real knack for this. Um, are you sure this is what you wanna study when you move on? And I thought, well, maybe I'll try it before I you know, spend another two years academically. And I auditioned for things, auditioned for the Arizona Theater Company, never was called back. Oh. Before my time, I would have you back in a second. You're, you're called back anytime. Yeah. Uh, went to LA for a few months with a friend and, you know, ended up in those times. I think I played a couple of dogs and some children's theater shows and <laughs> waited tables at Denny's and just realized it was not the path for me. I wanted to be a personality for the masses, but rejection and no money was not how I wanted to do it. So I went back to my hometown and my parents had a rule, you either go back to school or you get a job. And I got a job at the local historical society, being a volunteer coordinator. And it was sort of my entry point into arts and cultural administration. And through that, was able to serve on the local arts and humanities commission, got involved in the Main Street program, and then went back to school, moved back up to, moved to Phoenix and got a job at the State Humanities Council. And then ended up working at the State Arts Commission for five years, worked with Jamie and then moved away to DC and LA where I could make a living. Uh, but then just really felt the need to be closer to family, uh, to a place that I could, uh, just like Jamie, I was focusing a lot on what was happening in Arizona and in Phoenix. and was always the model when I worked at organizations like Americans for the Arts. I always brought up Arizona, I've always brought up Phoenix. And it wasn't until my nieces and nephews graduated from high school and I wasn't there for any of it that I decided I wanted to come back. And 
uh, was fortunate that this job opened up in a city that uh, means something to me and organizations that uh, meant something to me. Arizona Theater Company spent many a high school field trips coming to see. So getting to be in the seat as a non-fancy pants, in fact, I, I am wearing pants, but not dress pants right now. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited to be here and uh, to be supportive. And I am not, I don't consider myself an artist. I have done some theater here and now and then, but it's always as the narrator, you know, you come in tech week on your own and not rehearsing with the ensemble. So I think it's a calling for speeches and those kinds of things, which I get in my day-to-day job. Oh, well, you know, I, I would love if you could each just say a little bit about what your organization does, because I think I find the work that you do so crucial to advocating for us, you know, that we're, we, these are all under-resourced organizations. So essentially, if we don't have people like you, it's sometimes hard to just even make those public policy jumps, right? And we don't have the time because we're under-resourced to be doing all the legislative work that we need to or be following all of the bills that happen. So, uh, but maybe our, I feel grateful for that, but maybe the rest of our audience doesn't know exactly what your two organizations do. So do you mind just giving us just like a minute or two about what you do and what you serve and, and why you're so crucial to the arts in Arizona? And then I will witness you because I, I agree, but just let us know what it is. Sure. Um, Mitch, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Or do you... No, you go first. You go first. I'll riff off of you. Okay. Um, I uh, work, I'm the executive director for the Arizona Commission on the Arts, and we are a state agency. Um, uh, there are 56 of us around the country. There's a state arts agency in every state and U.S. jurisdiction. And um, we are part of a network of public support for arts and culture across the country. Um, we compete annually for funding from the National Endowment for the Arts so that that funding can be put to work, that federal funding can be put to work in Arizona communities. And we receive funding from the state of Arizona and we uh, deliver um, programs, grants, initiatives. We are a partner and a resource um, we are a, a lean but mighty team of uh, mostly, you know, everyone on our team is uh, an artist or has some practice that is grounded in the arts beyond their uh, work as an administrator for programs and initiatives and grants and even uh, our, uh, that's my son just coming in and out. Um, uh, even our, um, our fiscal office manager, our director of financial operations. Kim is a uh, vocal music performer and conductor. We feel like that's really important that folks um, understand uh, the world that we operate in and have some kind of creative practice that is um, driving them and their interest in this work. Um, and so we, uh, we, there are 56 of us and we are also, we're coming up on a, a 55th year of operation. And, um, and our mission is to ensure, is to imagine an Arizona where everyone can participate in and experience the arts. And so our focus is Arizona residents and uh, Arizonans having access to arts and culture wherever they live. And we do that in partnership with artists and arts educators and arts organizations throughout the state. That sounds amazing. I mean, that's, yeah, just to be able to make sure that everybody can attend, right? That everybody can, that it happens and is available to everybody is inspiring. Thank you. Well, we, you know, I will say this, like it's, it's always, even after, um, 
you know, five plus decades of this movement. So most state arts agencies are between 50 and 60 years old. There are a couple that are far older. The Utah, Utah has the oldest state arts commission and theirs is about 105 years old now. Um, but our work isn't done, right? Like there are places in Arizona where people um, uh, would struggle to name an arts organization in their community. Um, and so our work is also about lifting up uh, artists and makers because every community has artists in it, right? They might not be professional uh, working artists who think of themselves that way, but they, every community has artists and makers. And so our goal is to uh, also lift them up and provide them with support so that they can continue to serve and partner in their communities. That's great. Mitch, what do, what do you guys do? So to riff off Jamie, uh, one of the, the, as Jamie mentioned, there are 56 state art agencies. We are considered a local arts agency. And I got my taste of them when I worked at the state. I ran the local arts agencies program for the state. And Phoenix is one of those. And there are 3,700 local arts agencies across the country. Every major city has some form of a local arts agency. And we do similar but different uh, kinds of work. The city of Phoenix Office of Arts and Culture was founded in 1985 as a public art program. And that's a program that's uh, the built environment. So you'll see sculptures around town, like her secret is patients floating in civic space park downtown or big installations at the airport. Uh, those are public art projects and it's done through a percent for art funding through capital projects. So every one uh, dollar, one penny of every dollar on capital infrastructure in the city goes to public art. So that's what we were originally known for. We're a world renowned public art program. But like the commission, we give grants to cultural institutions and artists. We do research uh, on the field. We do creative youth development programs, professional development for artists and arts organizations. And so my job is to be, to run the agency. There's about 10 of us. We are also all artists and have some sort of artistic background in our, in our lives. Uh, but I also act as a advisor to mayor and council and to the city manager's office uh, on what's happening with the arts, uh, especially right now it's happening with coronavirus and how it's relating to arts organizations and artists. So that's what we do at the City of Phoenix Office of Arts and Culture. So you both acted a little shocked when I called you both artists. And then as you described your organization, you admitted that not only are you, but everyone involved is an artist, right? I mean, I feel like I have just started to call myself um, so I'm not a practicing artist, right? But I do feel like I practice, I engage in creative practice in my work all day long, yeah. right? Um, so I understand that some folks feel like there's a, um, they make a different distinction, but I feel like I'm uh, engaged in creative practice right now, trying to make sure my my family stays quiet while I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I, you know, I think that there's artistry in everything that we do. You know, I think to, to run an arts organization, to run a service organization like that, that is a level of being an artist because you are figuring out, right, how to support, like the support that is needed is never the same day to day, right? In terms of like who you're talking to, what city you're in, what things are going on. Like you have to improvise on the fly daily right how to support those things we're we're never you're never even supporting the same production right from 
from moment to moment. So I'm grateful for both of you for doing that. Can we talk just a bit about kind of the elephant in the room? Do you have, I'd be curious if you have um, like a professional take and then like a personal take. Like, so we know that we're in this moment right now where there is no performance happening, you know, in the state of Arizona because we're all kind of waiting to see what happens next. And, um, you know, I think there's some real national conversations about the fact that not all arts organizations will survive this. That really, that's actually, and it's already happened, right? We've already seen a couple different, not here in Arizona, but in other states, organizations already go under. And so there's, a, there's an idea of like, how do we make sure that on the other end of this, that these arts organizations are there, that the support is there, that it doesn't become this thing that we kind of, um, we get through it and then suddenly you realize all these things are gone that you believed in before, right? So I'm just curious what your take is right now in terms of where you see the arts going in Arizona in a, in a post-COVID world. Mitch, do you want, I'm not trying to like throw you the mic. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying like, if you want to start, you can. I, I will start. I am putting on my, my diplomacy. Well, that's what I wonder, like, like the professional one. And then because I have like a professional answer and like a personal answer that is yeah. you know, a little so more I, I, can, yeah. I can give you that. My professional answer is, and maybe it's also closely tied to my personal, um, the arts are not going to die. So the arts as a practice, arts and culture as a practice is not going to go away. And what is going to happen is you're going to have organizations and collectives. There's also artist collectives who are not formalized in uh, 501c3 status, but I think that there's going to be some that survive uh, and some that don't. And I think right now, uh, this is a little bit of personal coming through, it's really too soon, I feel, to really wrap my arms around it because, you know, I can go get tested today and open the door and have been infected. So the COVID-19, I think until vaccines or magic or whatever is the answer happens, I don't necessarily know that we're gonna have a straight answer to it. So when I say that the arts are gonna be there, artistic practice is going to be there. Uh, the need to uh, get that creative practice out is going to be there. But I think that the model of organizations uh, for those that do survive are going to have to change. I think that budgets, are going to shrink. I think that um, how we present things is going to be different between now and into the said future. Um, and I think that it just goes down to that this brought out the fragility of the nonprofit arts and culture sector and how we're living paycheck to paycheck and that we don't necessarily have solid ground because we you know, go from hoping for that big gala to happen from ticket sales to donors. And I think we're gonna to have to use this time to be innovative and think about how that structure in the nonprofit side stays together. And those that can't figure it out or don't have the capital may have to close gracefully. But I think that those people are still gonna be there trying to ruminate on how to reopen into something new or to do something differently. So I'm just in this place of it's still so new for me. And so my job at the Office of Arts and Culture is to try to help organizations and individual artists um, sustain right now, but that's not going to probably be able to happen uh, as we move on. Like big shifts are going to have to be made. And I think it's 
organizations like Jamie's in mind that can help the conversation. But I think that since the arts are not going to die, but we need to be open to change. And I think there's gonna be a lot of people who are really against that change that's going to make it difficult. So I ramble on here because I personally can't rub the crystal ball to see where it is, but I know that the arts are not going to die. The structure that we in may die, may shift, but I think that we have to be open to change to move forward. You know, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. what, what we talk about a lot is that, um, like I'm relatively new and our incoming managing director is even newer and that there was kind of years of work that we saw ahead of us in terms of like, okay, let's transform this organization into the one that we want. And that will, I don't know which walls are structural and I don't know which ones are, you know, just for show. And so it'll take us a couple of years to get there. And then instead of being a couple of years, we're now attempting to do all of our adjustments in May that we're really taking this opportunity. Um, you know, there's the saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste. So it's like how to really take this moment to, we're gonna have to reinvent ourselves anyway, right? We are going to have to adjust who we are. We're going to have to be a smaller, stronger, you know, more strategic, nimble organization. So let's do it. Let's really use this moment to re-envision ourselves as how we want to be. Um, because I think in many ways, like the support is there right there for this moment, right? If we come out afterwards and we say, this is the new Arizona theater company, I think people are going to say like, I'm just glad that you're here. So like, however you want to do it going forward. And so I just think it's, if there is a silver lining, it's to what you're saying, like that we have to, we can use this moment if we can actually, we will never have a break again, right? Let's hope we never have a break again, where we have six months of where we're not producing, and we could actually, if we can lower the anxiety level a little, like do some strategic thinking and long range planning and all these things that every arts organization wants to do. But when you do 12 shows a year in a summer program, next thing you know, it's been four years, right? And you never really got to actually examine the model of what it is. Uh, Jamie, your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, it is difficult to, you kind of swing between the what is personal and what is professional. You know, I, like everybody else, have um, personal moments of just despair, right, for what um, we will likely lose and what uh, I mean as a sector and all of the, the, real, the real pain and suffering all around us. Like, we... Um, in our very own backyard, our brothers and sisters on the Navajo Nation are experiencing the um, the most significant impact in the country. And it is, we are in a time where like our understanding of um, big numbers and exponential growth is not really um, lining up with the reality that we're living. And I just think it's important um, to stay mindful about that while also trying hard not to tip over into personal or professional despair, because there is going to be um, a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain now, and there will be a lot of pain in the next several years. Um, and, and yet, professionally, I look at this, um, this crisis, and I think that uh, I think we're all on the same page that nobody wanted this to happen. We would give everything we had so that it might not happen. But 
this is also a time for us to reflect. Um, there are a whole lot of things in our sector, in our organizational structure, in the way that we fund things, the way that artists are uh, compensated or not. There are a whole lot of things that weren't working, right? That haven't been working for a long time and, and do not need to be brought with us into uh, whatever we make together on the other side of this. And I think that feels like, um, it does feel like an opportunity and it feels like something so precious that we have to fight for it to use every bit of influence and privilege that we might have to ensure that, uh, that we're not the only voices in the room uh, as these, um, as the new reality is imagined. And also that we use uh, whatever influence we have to influence our authorizing environments, which are um, very different, but all include, you know, very powerful people. We have to make sure we're not trying to recreate what we had six months ago. There was, I just, I mean, there was a lot broken in that, right? Like, the day before um, we all went into lockdown, I was scheduled to give a presentation on the state of the art sector to a business group here in town. And I had pulled all of um, the data on uh, working capital in uh, arts organizations in Arizona. And within our, this won't surprise you that, but it is a stark um, reality that in in Arizona that our major institutions had an average of negative two months of working capital, right? No one could sustain any kind of crisis. Now, I don't think that's the organization's fault. I think it's systemic, right? I'm not trying to recreate that. We need to have a much more, um, uh, a much, uh, we need new systems and new uh, structures that allow for far more equitable, pay equitable access to opportunity and uh, systems that are more durable and allow organizations to take the kind of creative risk that we need them to take on behalf of their communities. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the ones that survive this, right, are the ones that are going to figure out how do they reimagine what the organization is or what the art sector is, right? I mean, we see... Mm -hmm. I saw a, like a recent study that two thirds of independent artists are unemployed at this time. Right. And that just yeah. shows you the structure that we live in is like such a gig to gig economy that, you know, God forbid you have a mortgage payment or a child and suddenly you have to do something else with your life. So like, really like, how do we support artists and these artists that we love, right. That we have back over and over again, how do we really provide everybody with a living wage that doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't require them to like work themselves to the bone. You know, we have, um, my daughter was born on Actors Equity Health Insurance, which is like an amazing insurance to have a baby, but a terrible insurance to be a new mom on, you know? And so like, how do we yeah. actually support, you know, these artists when they want to do something else with their lives besides, God forbid, they not want to do eight shows a week until they drop, you know, at the end of it. So you're right, there were structures in place that were not healthy Let's not just fight to get those back. Let's figure out what does the new system look like? Yeah, and I also- Right, and we have to, sorry, Mitch, go ahead. I was just gonna say that also within the, the art sector, 
Um, there's people like me who once considered themselves an artist and then not anymore. And I've only ever worked in the sector. And, you know, in the nonprofit art sector, we're paying some people some junk wages or asking them to work 60 hours a week for little money. And I also hope that as we think about this, that we think about those uh, employment opportunities as well. If that you can only pay someone minimum wage, but you're gonna call them an associate director and you want them to work 80 hours a week, maybe you need to reimagine that and realize that it's setting up people for failure and it adds more to the systemic thing. So when we talk about individuals, we definitely want artists to have the living wage and the opportunity, but also the people who are working for these organizations and institutions to be treated fairly and to be thought about in a way that when we can make shifts that we're thinking about the thing holistically as equitable and that we find ourselves in post COVID that we're not in the negative two month capital where we are. I was on a call with some California arts organizations uh, for my job when I worked there in LA, they brought me in. And there are some organizations with millions of dollars of budgets who come to realize that they just had so much fat happening around. They had duplications in staff. They didn't need things. They were paying insurances for things that didn't need to happen. Um, and so when they looked at it, uh, they could be floating at half the capacity on payroll and would help the artistic side. So I really hope that people also look at the business models, even as individual artists, I hope that people are gonna look at their business models and be able to see how they can come out stronger. And whether that's through professional development or technical assistance that the commission or the office can offer. But I think we've just done a piss poor job of setting people up. And in my academic setting, before I switched from arts to uh, my a public administration program, the business model was never taught. It was never brought up. If you were in the acting program, you were going to be an actor and that was it. Hope you make it. Susan Lucci of the end. So I hope that we can help strategically put people up for success on both ends. Uh, we have a question from uh, Facebook from Brad. Brad wants to know, as the state continues to reopen, arts and cultural venues, which hold large gatherings, will likely be the last to open what type of support, what does support look like as we move forward with that in mind? Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Well, I'm not sure what Brad, um, what he means by support. So I can tell you that, you know, the, the I, I would, um, if he means support in uh, resources and best practices, I think so much of that is emerging and so much of that is um specific to the type of venue, the type of facility, who owns it, and also which municipality it's in. Um, there has been not a lot of centralized um, guidance on any of this. And what we're trying to do at the Arts Commission is provide access to uh, best practices and emerging resources um, without with, sorry, but, and also acknowledging that we are not um, public health uh, experts and that any guidance that we provide really, you know, it's really about best practices and resources. We, we cannot provide any um, public health guidance that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't take any public health guidance from my own self, but um, in terms of financial support, this is going to be um, a long haul. We are in this for a long journey. And I honestly don't know what things are going to look like on the other um, 
on the other side for facilities and venues because uh, the kind of financial support that would be required to sustain them while they are not open um, is not the kind of, uh, these are not the kind of investments that I imagine cities are going to be able to, to free up uh, in as the crisis begins to roll on, especially for municipalities. Um, and once they are open, I mean, human behavior will have changed for a, for a long time about um, how people want to sit close together or be close together. Um, however, I do think that we have some, uh, um, some uh, new partners in this. So we have, we have never had so common a challenge with uh, our local sports teams than we have now. And I think that there are some really um, interesting partnerships that we could imagine in rolling out um, uh, new ways of engaging audiences and fans and, uh, and really leveraging each other's talents and networks and uh, possibly, you know, the kinds of uh, resources that the sports teams might have that we might not have ourselves. So it's an interesting question because one of the things I failed to mention in my intro is that we're also a landlord. Uh, the Office of Arts and Culture is the landlord to eight cultural facilities across the city. And while we are just the landlord, there's nonprofit tenants in them. And we're asking what their plans are for reopening, just so that we can get a sense where we can put guidance from the city about how we're reopening like our buildings, like City Hall, the courts, and those kinds of things. Um, but as Jamie mentioned, there's, there's, there's a whole set of issues because we're, where we were hoping that somebody would say, not more than so many people can be in a room. So we could say, okay, theater companies, it can be no more than 150 people, figure out how to make that happen. Or it can't be more than 50, is it worth putting on a show? Um, so we're, my office is in that game of now working with buildings who are opening and our museum partners, probably have a little bit easier because they will be able to do the social distancing guidelines. They'll be able to stanchion people off. Um, theater companies don't necessarily want to sit shoulder to shoulder with anybody. You know, I think as Jamie mentioned, people's uh, feelings and worries are in it. I was at the grocery store earlier and heard two women screaming at each other because they were going wrong ways down the aisle. And I didn't even know that that was a thing in the grocery store. So I think that it's dependent on what kind of venue or art form you are that I think could be in phases. I was talking to colleagues in LA where the LA County Department of Health has put a task force together. But they've already told the task force, there are six phases and you're phase six. Like, so you've got some time to think about mm. the opening. And one of the early thoughts that they thought about were movie theaters, which are not open in LA County, but they're open here. And so I guess we'll have to start taking cues from different uh, other sectors, including, uh, as Jamie mentioned, the sports group. So we're trying to figure out how to create an effort, but we were told early on that we would follow the county and the state's guidance. And they thought they were gonna follow the CDC's guidance that basically said, we're not doing anything. So I think we're now gonna to have to go into this triage mode of trying to help our arts and cultural partners figure it out. And that goes from artist studios who let people in all the way to Symphony Hall. So I think that we've got a vast uh, a space. And so maybe time is on our side to figure out the different sectors. But I think there's just a lot of things 
uh, at play here. And I think for the easy question, it's dependent on how it goes back to my change question. Um, I challenged an orchestra in California to think about things differently because they're like my concert hall. I'm like, how about an airport hangar? You can put your 40 piece orchestra on one end, your audience can sit spaced out, they can get it if they want to. And they're like, but what about the sound? I'm like, you're gonna have to skip the sound right now. If you wanna have to <laughs> be live musicians, like you're gonna have to think about something different. So again, it's also gonna be a push pull if people are gonna be adaptable to change. Now, I know that like none of us would, would wish this in, in any way, even small way on us, but have there been silver linings that you have seen? I mean, I will say that there is, even amongst, so this is nationally, I'm on like four different times a week Zoom calls with artistic directors from all over the country that, that has never happened before. Like we are sharing information as an industry that has never happened before. I'm on some like top secret Phoenix artistic director call that happens, which we've never all been on the same, you know what I mean? Like, and we share information about what's going on and like, when are you thinking you're gonna open? When are we gonna, and so it's like a level of communication that can only be beneficial. And I'm sorry that it took all of this to realize that we are all in it together, but now it really feels like we are in it together and it doesn't matter whether you go to you know, the opera or Phoenix theater or us, or, you know, child's play. Like we have to all figure out like, what are we doing as a group? And the power that comes from all of us being on the same page about each thing that we do, you know, are we gonna all announce our new plans at the same time? And just like that level of conversation, at least in my time in any other city has not happened, you know? So there is a silver lining in terms of, we are all really on the same page. And I think to your point, Jamie, it's like, we have such in common now with the university and with the sports uh, organizations. And in some ways we're going to let them figure out, right. We're going to let billion dollar industries figure out how do you get people in and go to the bathroom before we have to figure it out right on the same level, because we're all going to be facing the same thing. So are there other silver linings that you see? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's a lot of really great collaboration happening that this is always a really collaborative community because resources are scarce here. Um, I know that other communities think that they are in resource um, scarce communities. I get it. Some of you are, but like if we look at the data, things are really uh, under-resourced here um, in public and private funding. Um, but I think that we people are collaborating uh, on completely new levels and they're collaborating cross-sector, which so intra-sector and also cross-sector, which I think is really, really important because if the, you know, I, I apologize, just like give me one second as a total doomsayer, like, like let's just pretend for a second that the nonprofit industry as we know it, that, that, that those systems collapse, right? Like let's say that, the model collapses, not the system, but the model. And if that's the case, we need to be in very active conversation with other sectors about how, what we have in common, what we can leverage on each other's behalf, like what we, how we can uh, be better together. And, um, and I don't know what those experiments uh, will look like or how they will be funded and supported, but I think that it could be, it could end up being a really exciting time for experimentation. There's a kind of freedom in this um, moment because we cannot be burdened by precedent because 
precedent isn't possible, right? Like it's not possible for us to do what we were doing before. Um, so I think that's a silver lining. And I also think that there is a different kind of openness to, um, this could go one of two ways in our sector, right? There is um, crisis exacerbates in inequities. And we are going to have to stay very alert, right? Like there are already conversations happening nationally where people are not even ashamed to say that all of this um, racial equity work that we were doing before, we're not going to be able to do that now because we're going to have to focus on uh, on making money. Um, it's such a small and insidious and terrifying thought, but I don't think it's a majority opinion. I think that most people recognize that equity, parity, inclusion, this is the, it's not um, a decoration for our future, right? It's not a, a, something that's additive. It is the, the path. It's the path. It's the only path uh, forward. And so those kinds of um, open, candid conversations, I think are um, really important. And they've been more, um, as this crisis disproportionately affects uh, people of color, I think uh, those conversations are just becoming more um, visible and, and, and louder than they ever have before. Amazing. Mitch. Yeah, and I think some of the silver linings for me is the collaborations that are happening. I. The Office of Arts and Culture has hosted many calls with arts organizations of varying sizes and to hear small organizations talking to large organizations about ways to collaborate or sharing resources has been very uh, heartwarming. Um, the other piece is that because of what is happening, especially at City Hall, the arts are at the table in a way um, that is not just, oh, look how warm and fuzzy that is. Oh, they add to quality of life. They're part of the workforce. They deserve things like emergency relief money. It's, it's a, a silver lining. And the third is that I feel that um, we should be looking to the small and mid-sized organizations and artist collectives to see what they're gonna be coming out with. Uh, you know, I got an email and I think Jamie probably knows the creators of like drive-in like dance sessions. Like I wanted to reserve my tickets of these weird pop-up things, but it was already sold out. So like, I'm excited to see where art's going. I am sad that I had my tickets to the Lion King and that's not gonna happen, but maybe the same intrinsic value will get replaced by these pop-up dance shows. So I think I'm excited and the silver lining is that I think creation of art is gonna be taken in a different way. And I've also seen a lot of companies, big and small, asking people, what is it you'd like to see during this? And is virtual okay? Is pop-up okay? Or do you want us to like, open the doors to a theater and cross your fingers. So I'm, I'm enjoying that uh, the community is being asked how they want to take in this creation as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah and just the idea of like, um, oh, sorry, Sean. No, no, I'll, I'll you. Um, just the idea of like, the other silver lining is, and this is happening across many sectors, is the sudden clarifying, like understanding, I guess that, um, what is local matters, that it's fragile, that it could go away, um, that, you know, some friends and I about talking about restaurants, we were like, um, really worried a couple of weeks into this crisis, like, um, when we come out of this is the only thing that's going to be left, like Applebee's and hometown buffet, no offense, 
to like Mr. Appleby, who might be on this call, but um, he's a major sponsor we, for us. We, so thank you. <laughs> we <laughs> we have to um, we have to invest in what is local, whether that's restaurants or local artists and local companies, or um, or they might not be here when we want to to visit them. I, I, I will say, I think that has been a real silver lining for us is that people understand if you it, enjoy this, if you feel like this is an important part of what Arizona deserves, like you have to support it. Like it doesn't all just happen and someone else will take it. Don't worry about it. Like, no, if you, you have to look around and say, these are the restaurants, these are the cultural institutions. These are the things that are important. I need to support them or they won't be here. And that's not an Arizona thing. That's not a Phoenix thing. That's, you know, that's, that's everywhere, right? That's in every city. People have to locally decide what is important to them, you know, and we, uh, you know, where, um, we, I know with our, even with our fundraising campaigns, we have seen, you know, an uptick in people making kind of smaller gifts, which I think is great because that means it's, they're not in, they're, they don't think that there's like seven people that fund everything. They realize they have to figure out how to support in whatever way they can, you know, to be able to do it. So I think that is a real silver lining. And, you know, just even for us, we do the same thing. We're like once a week, we're like, we have to support these restaurants. There is no way mm -hmm. we can get to September and not be able to get the Greek food we need, you know? So it's like, how do we go ahead and figure out like, how do we support them going forward? Which is a great conversation to be having, right? For all of us collectively. So what what's next? Yeah. What do you think, what do you think happens next? Um. I don't, so Mitch and I have been in several conversations with other um, other configurations of conversations. I think what is next is that um, people are, there's going to be a period of testing, right? I don't mean testing like COVID testing, but there's going to be like a, um, people are going to be experimenting on all kinds of fronts. And what we have to do is be in the practice of um, assessing I mean, as a sector, I mean, capturing, understanding, assessing what is working, what what isn't working, sharing that between organizations and artists and uh, and really trying to lift up emerging uh, ideas and um, and stuff that's working. I think what I I'm speaking in generalities because I think the big missing piece so far is what are the containers and platforms where this kind of imagining can take place? Um, it's taking place in, you know, Zoom calls all over the nation, all over the world, but what are the ways and the platforms where we can do, we can engage in this collaboration so that uh, sectors aren't, and, and organizations aren't just um, engaging in that experimentation on their own in a way that's not visible to anybody else. And, uh, and that's going to require some more collaboration and talking. And uh, I mean, I, I just also just wanted, I didn't want to leave this, this without saying to you, Sean, and to uh, Arizona Theater Company and to all kinds of organizations across the state that people like Mitch and like me and, and our teams, like we see all of this, these amazing we see all of this experimentation that's already underway and all of the ways that you are pivoting your work to be of service in your communities. And it's all really extraordinary. And it's so um, beautiful. Like it didn't have to happen. There are a lot of ways that arts organizations and artists could have just said, I'm going to hunker down and 
close up shop. And, and I, I acknowledge that for some, that might be the right answer too. But this is, um, uh, it's an intense moment of extreme creativity too. And I just, um, I would like at the Arts Commission to find ways to better amplify that and, um, and share out uh, when it's appropriate, what people are doing that is working and that's great. That's wonderful, thank yeah. you. And I think to add to Jamie, I think there's two things I just wanna say before the close is that I think with the testing, um, it's, it's a test of safety. People wanna feel safe. In my own life, um, as restrictions have let up, I have invited a couple of people to be physically with me because I knew that they were also social distancing. I know that they weren't like going to, I don't know where people pick it up, but they weren't doing group things. And so I could invite them to my patio, which then invited them into my home. But I think that that's also gonna be the same thing for arts organizations and artists. People are gonna test you on the safety issue. Can I sit in the seat and watch something? And do I feel like I'm safe? So I think that organizations are gonna have to figure that out if they move back into the physical being. The second thing is if they're not gonna move back into the physical being, I think it's time to stop giving things away for free. You know, I know that a lot of people did free web stuff and all that jazz and I've watched it all, but there's gonna become a point where people are just going to expect it. So if you're still doing online things, it's time to start monetizing it because that may be your delivery method for the next six, 12 months and you don't wanna give the cow away for free. Yeah, we actually had a staff meeting today where we talked about all our online initiatives and somebody was like, but how will we pay for it? And we are like, we're gonna charge for it. They were like, oh, like that was like a real breakthrough, right? In terms of just how it would happen. But, you're, but you are correct, right? We have to figure out how do we share this great work that we do. And if we share it online, then it needs to be part of the support that comes into our organization. So just lastly, how can people learn more about each of your organizations? Where is the place they go? Our website. So which is? <laughs> Phoenix.gov slash arts. And ours is azarts.gov. Amazing. Thank you both so much for coming on. You were correct. You are a delight together. You're like a great comedy <laughs> routine in terms of being out there and chatting about the arts. We so appreciate you having you here today. Coming up next week, we have uh, Ralph Remington, who is the Artistic Executive Director of the Tempe Center for the Arts. And we have Larry O'Keefe, who wrote all the Broadway musicals that you love, whether it's Bat Boy or Heathers or Legally Blonde. He is on the show next week and he's going to perform for us. Also some of the things that he is working on as well. So a really fantastic time. Anyway, thank you both for being on the show. Thank you everybody thank for watching. You. And thank we will see you. you next week on Hang and Focus Live. You are. You are. You are. I am. I am. I am. We are. We are. We are. Arizona. Theater. Arizona Theater Company. This podcast was produced by Arizona Theatre Company.